So back in the day, I used to do this, this podcasting stuff. Uh, The day actually wasn't so long ago, but I didn't drop it because of any particular reason other than it just took time and it takes four to six hours to do the blog and uh, I suppose a guilt trip of it being that long. So, um, but I'm back doing it today. It's Christmas Eve. Everybody's relaxing. Thought I'd take some time to share some thoughts. So rather than write everything that I thought in my uh, blog, saved a few thoughts for uh, this podcast. So these are always supposed to be about 20 minutes long. So I hope it doesn't go a whole lot longer because um, I want to be a shorter podcast. Um, So here we go. Arsenal-Liverpool. And first thought that I thought was interesting to discuss was why the game looked so different to all the other Arsenal games. Because Arsenal had the opportunity... Um, to slow the game down, control the game, make it less of a basketball game, but didn't do that at any point. So that was obviously intentional. I don't know exactly what was said and why, but um, I suppose it worked in as far as a point is is good, Um, maybe better than good. What I did notice that sort of gave the game away, beyond the fact that it was just bouncing from end to end, was that Salah, uh, Saka Martinelli, and I guess Luis Diaz, but Salah in particular, uh, and Saka in particular for us, weren't coming back uh, to double-team the other team's wingers. So their defensive duties went as far as about... 30, 40 yards out, for the most part, not every time. And they just sat in that dead space, that pocket of space to where you can transition quickly. And that was their role in the game. And it was almost as if both coaches accepted that the other team would have that opportunity and that that was okay. And they were going to trust their fullbacks to do their job. Extra surprising because Trent is not somebody I would ever trust but Kanate played the game of his life and Zinchenko proved why he's not fully trustworthy. We'll get on to him later. But that was interesting because every other team that faces Saka, for example, is double-teaming him quickly and then there's a third guy that comes along. But he was often left one-on-one and Salah was available for the transition all day long. I actually don't think he had a great game. Uh, He missed an easier chance than the one he scored with, and he missed some connections and last um, passes. uh, And his goal was top class, of course, but I think his performance might be a little overrated. Okay. Another thing I wanted to mention was Martinelli. Martinelli... Seems to have been roasted, I think, on some other podcasts I've listened to since the game and online. And I think I've always intentionally tried to live in the grey space rather than be so extreme, black and white, you know. 
uh, with my views and just tried so hard to just see how it actually is. Not that other people are giving false information or opinion, not that at all, um, because other people do this a whole lot better than me. But I did notice that considering Martinelli was playing Liverpool away, the number of times that he transitioned, even in really difficult areas, past the first man and the second man, got players booked because he accelerated past them. And so in that middle third of the field in particular, he was actually excellent. Much like the Zinchenko story, which we're about to get onto, is that it seems like people are look either looking at that part of what happened and ignoring it, or they just expect them to be good. And perhaps that's seen as their job, and you don't get a round of applause for doing your job. But I sort of think you should when you play Liverpool away. And Martinelli, I counted, there were five times he transitioned, beat his man, accelerated and created opportunity. So I think you've got to say that and give him his flowers for that. And then you can also say that he wasn't so good in the box. And he wasn't. Um, He wasn't terrible. Again, no need to be extreme. But he was a little too predictable and a little asleep, I thought. Certainly in my blog, I wrote about the fact that he had a tapping opportunity, at least one, and didn't even go into the six-yard box, didn't attack the space that they gave us. And in a game where I thought that we actually played the game that was in front of us, unlike perhaps how we did at Stamford Bridge, where we seemed to come with a game plan that wasn't working and didn't play the game that was on uh, was on that day, um, and it took us too long to figure that out, and then we left thinking, give us five more minutes, we would have been Chelsea, and we would have, but we left it too late. That's one of the compliments that I can say about what happened yesterday, is that we played the game that was given to us, and we competed, and we competed well, and we looked the equal, at least, of Liverpool. But there you have it. Martinelli, I think, much like Zinchenko, was uh, good and bad and not much in between, to be honest. And both of those guys certainly offer a whole lot more good than bad. The Zinchenko mistake thing, I, I honestly believe, is just illuminated because nobody else really at Arsenal is making the volume of mistakes and the volume of mistakes is just exaggerated. He does make at least one a game. And if you think back to just a few years ago, there were multiple players making multiple mistakes per game. And again, because he's sort of out there on an island by himself making mistakes and other players are really not doing it much, it stands out. Is it a problem? Yep, I can't ignore that. And I think for Zinchenko moving forward there's going to be a, a few solutions. You can either play him in games where you're utterly dominant and not have to worry about their right winger. Well, that's we've seen that this season. And um, I think when Arsenal as a team get to the point where their uh, control um, and domination, as Arteta uh, talks about, is 
also producing multiple uh, three, four, five, six, zero wins, um, then the game state would allow for a player like Zinchenko and his odd brain farts to not be so critical. So if Arsenal get to that point, Zinchenko will be more comfortable or we will be more comfortable with him on the field and probably focus more on the goals, the assists, the the creation, um, the unpredictability, the line-breaking, passing, everything that he does bring rather than what he's not. The, another option is that he just simply slides to the bench when Timber gets back, Tobiasu, that's very likely anyway. Um, again, I would say dependent on the game because I don't think Timber or Tomiyasu are going to offer as much as Zinchenko, who might just be the left-back in world football that offers the most um, positive production when you have the ball. So I don't know how you can just ditch that guy or complain about him to the point where it becomes such an issue that he feels the weight of that. And that's what I would not want to happen. A contract's going to be coming up for him probably this summer. And I think undoubtedly he needs to be given a new contract because there's so much value that he brings. And um, so there. Uh, there may be another left-back coming in to the club as well, and there could be a position change for Zinchenko. So that's another option. Uh, I think as many people have noted, uh, requested for him to be given an opportunity at left eight, that's a possibility. Um, he's such a talented player. He could play most places, but of course, um, without having the pace, he would limit himself in certain situations. As a central midfielder, no doubt he could do that. He does that anyway. That's really where he spends most of his time on the football pitch if you look at his heat map. But I think it's just important that you talk about both sides because both sides actually happened. I'm not. He's actually not a player that I feel in the slightest but pulled one way or the other due to a bias or the fact he's on the back of my jersey or that he even plays for Arsenal and I love him so much. Um, I just appreciate him. He's just a very good footballer. Uh, and my last thought is uh, we have a coach that we have to believe is talking to him about this and that he's aware of it. And if he's too stubborn to change it, then Arteta will change the situation, which won't work in Zinchenko's favour, or he'll coach him out of it because he's improved everybody in our squad. Everybody. And Zinchenko would be one of them. And this is such an obvious weakness to where the other team are picking on him and he's the pressing trigger uh, and so on, that something will change. So I think we just need to relax trust the club who know what they're doing, something will change. Either he will move to the bench, he will move to midfield, he will get to the point where he stops taking, um, being cocky, <laughs> uh, being overconfident, which I think is what it is, uh, being unaware of what's around him. But something is going to change. Okay, three more things I wanted to mention that I... I'm interested in who is going to play against West Ham. I'm not even sure when that game is. It's not on Boxing Day, is it? I think it's the day after. 
anyway, I'm wondering if there'll actually be two changes. I know that somebody has to come in for Havertz and the assumption is Trossard and that will probably happen. But regardless of Martinelli being not as productive in the final third, this is the time of year surely where there's rotation and is this game any more complicated than Fulham away? Could be very similar. Could be a little easier, in fact. Perhaps uh, teams with talented players like West Ham on a roll have come to the Emirates this season and we haven't even noticed who their talented players are because we've been so dominant. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again. What is going to be super interesting is if Martinelli is rested... Who is given that opportunity if that happens against West Ham? Because if Trossard replaces Havertz, it's not going to be Trossard. So it's Reese or Emil. Um, and I don't know which way I would go as far as preference. I think both of them I'm very excited to see more of. The Reese Nelson situation, I'm convinced, is down to his lack of concentration and defensive positioning and such, rather than... His, the lack of trust that Arteta has in him as an attacker, I think as an attacker, he's clearly very dangerous. And I think he's actually one of the best in our squad in the box. He does sense where to be at what time. And a lot of his goals, if you look at his goals for Arsenal over the years, I know there hasn't been a huge catalogue of them, but it's quite a few of them that are just simple tappings. And we need that. So that's going to be really interesting. And I suppose my main hope rather than trying to pick his team for him, is that whoever the player is that comes in, either for Havertz or Havertz and Martinelli, uh, I just want to see motivation. I want them to take that opportunity, because, for example, if it was Emile Smith-Rowe coming in for Martinelli, let's say, and he uh, has an Emile Smith-Rowe performance from a year and a half ago, where he is one of the main problems for the opponent. On the ball, off the ball, with his energy, in front of goal. Uh, he's up there for sure as one of the best finishers at our club, possibly even the best. Um, so what an opportunity. Because if Smith Rowe, for example, puts on a performance... The crowd aren't going to wait for that performance to get so hot that they stand up. They're going to be singing that guy's name from the very beginning. And that energy, I think, may change Emil Smith-Rowe's season at Arsenal. But I, I just hope that there's a high level of motivation from whichever player gets that opportunity. Okay, Ethan, I think it's pronounced one yeary, as if the end doesn't exist. Um, I've been frustrated like many that he didn't get to play in that last game against PSV. I can't pretend that I wasn't frustrated, I was. Um, but ultimately, I cede my opinion and chuck it over my shoulder when I compare it to the opinion of the club who are running the show rather well these last few years. So, you know, seeing the opportunity that he's had to train, he seems to train daily now um, with the first team. 
and that's a change for him and that he's part of the group even just traveling that's uh important too and i suppose we're antsy because we don't see the value in those things because we don't see those things none of us see training none of us and none of us see the interaction in the hotel on the bus on the bench in the changing room none of us but we all see the field okay so Mikel sees all of that and he's the one who knows the player and his personality and knows whether it's, you know, time to step from the under-23s playing in front of 17 people to playing in front of 45,000 people and whether that particular player can handle that experience because I think one thing that we forget about academy players is they've never played... Um, let's give a realistic number, they've never played in front of more than, let's say, 3,000 people in their entire life. Playing for their country as an under-17 or whatever, for their club, never. And and if they have played in quite a front of quite a few people, the intensity, the noise, the importance of the event hasn't been anywhere near what a Premier League game would be. So what does that do to the player? So I'm saying all of that to say that I suppose it's better when you've got a team who aren't desperate, like Arsenal, for a player with such talent um, to get on the field for us to take our time and do it step by step. And I suppose do it the right way, I think is what a coach would say, that most of the time they don't have the opportunity to do it the right way. Sometimes somebody just has to be thrown in the deep end. But Arsenal are in a position of luxury because we have a squad of really good players and we're not desperate. And because most of our players are so versatile and flexible, it's not like we have one position where we have two players and if those two go down, we have no choice but to use an academy player. That's not how our team is structured, thankfully. So... These are all good experiences for him. And ultimately, Arteta is the coach of the team. And if the team needs what Wanieri has to give, Luis Skelly has to give, uh, Charlie Patino has to give these kinds of players, then they will stay, they will, will play, and they can't be ignored. And what's so delightful is those three that I've mentioned look like they could have at least a Premier League level career um, with their talent and so there's a there's a chance that we have more than just one who will make it and make an impact um, and in Wanieri's uh, situation in particular compared to let's say Lewis Skelly uh, Patino Walters um he uh, and his skill type are eye-catching. They're the type of things that get players, sorry, not players, get fans off their feet, gets us off the couch, gets us talking. We don't really do that with other positions quite as much. But he's got goals in him. He's been playing centre-forward actually more than attacking midfield and on the wing. 
and uh, he's got wonderful feet. Um, he's got skills that could make the, the TikTok videos. So he's got what is going to get people excited. And when you get the energy of 60,000 people behind you, then maybe you just can't be ignored anymore. So let's see on him. Last point, probably gone way over 20 minutes. But there's a player that I liked, I think it was last year. His his name I can't pronounce, and I don't care that I can't pronounce it, because I bet nobody can pronounce it unless there's somebody from his nation listening here. Um, Eden is his first name. Maybe he's from Belgium. Zegrov- Zegrova? Um, Zegrova? Plays for Lille. And we are going to be most likely in the summer looking for a backup option for Saka. This player would be cheaper than somebody like Pedro Neto, who'd be the person that I would go for. I love Michael Alise, blah, blah, blah. You need to watch this guy play. Just as Max said to me earlier, he said, Dad, this guy is just a natural dribbler. Um, And uh, that's his unique quality. Of course, there's more needed to play for Arsenal but that's an interesting player. Eden Zegrova at Lille. There's a good name. Hey, happy Christmas. That's plenty enough from me. Cheerio.